Hey everyone, this is Red Rock Cop. I'm an artist and activist based in Los Angeles. I'm 26 years old and I grew up across the American continent and over the Atlantic Ocean in London, England. I was raised by a Mexican-American mother and a French-British father. Since 2016, I've been working with Lauren Bond in the Metabolic Studio. My focus has been documenting and archiving our current political and environmental crisis, focusing on water wars in the Americas, indigenous resistance, and the movement to protect our planet in the face of extinction and crumbling infrastructure. Here at the Metabolic Studio, we believe in the power of stories as part of our commons. Today we will be listening to Lydia Ponce, a Mayo, Quechua and Scottish indigenous movement builder in Los Angeles. Lydia is currently the Community Engagement Director at SoCal 350 and an active member of the American Indian Movement. Let's listen to her story. I'm Lydia Ponce and I am Mayo from my mom's side, Yaki Orame. And um, on my dad's side, I am um, Quechua. And I'm also Scottish. And I live here in Venice, and I'm really honored to be talking to you um, at this very moment. Awesome. Thanks. And just so people know, Mayo are people of Mexico, am I right? Yep. Sinaloa. I'm from Sinaloa. And or Sonora, but I'm from Sinaloa. Watch out. <laughs> and Quechua are people from Peru. Or so yep. called Peru. Yep. Okay. Yeah, just so, just so people know. So, I mean, part of the point of asking these questions and trying to find out is, is trying to get an idea of how people end up doing the things they do, right? And um, kind of thinking, you know, how did you, what were these moments in your younger life that could point towards the type of stuff you do now, which, you know, um, involved very heavily in, in activism and indigenous resistance and, and general organizing. You know, where can you see that's that a, trace? That's back? a great question. <laughs> I ask that I ask that question every day. Why do I do what I do? <laughs> um how did I get here? Um yeah, what happened was as growing up, uh I saw on black and white TV the civil rights movement. And then when T V became color, it was like yeah, well, we're still black and brown and we're the ones at the end of the water cannons and, you know, arrested and beaten and killed and just all these atrocities when AIM came up and Black Panthers and then Brown Berets, the, the walkout from the uh, moratorium, the Chicano moratorium. The, um, it's, it's, it's all relevant in a very young mind at six, seven and eight years old. Um, I, I thankfully had my brother to teach me and unteach me what they try to teach me at public schools. And he would, he would, my greeting after school, Monday through Friday, when he was home from work would be, what did they try to teach you today? What did they try to uh, have you memorize? You know, these dates and, and these, these episodes of, you know, white American history. So the rest is pretty much easy. Um, became very, very, um, uncomfortable with not doing anything. Um, I really wanted to provide food at Wounded Knee back in the day. And my mom laughed at me and said, well, it's not down the street around the corner. So, you know, um, I remember that. 
and the distance of uh, of who we are as Indigenous people to in proximity to each other, close down the street, around the corner, or across the nation, or didn't really matter. Um, there's always hunger. There's always been um, advanced oppressions in different forms, no matter what the politics are um, or who's in office. There's never been a better life for Indigenous people all around the world, let alone um, this Turtle Island. And that's what brings me to uh, the current situation of land is life or water is life and um, the people who need to be centered on all these policies and plans in response to this climate change. It's yep. very easy to, to find the answer, know the answer, and have the white status uh, population not advance their thoughts to centering Indigenous people. And um, that's where we're at, you know, in, with regards to this response to this virus, with response to a uh, climate crisis, uh, we need to center um, the indigenous medicines and the relationship, restore the relationship to each other and to Earth Mother. Yeah, I guess you did grow up watching the civil rights movement as a kid and, you know, having that be present in your life and then and then you know, from your brother, what was, was he involved in those movements at the time? Was he just a very, was he just a uh, night and young person or what was the? His struggle as a young indigenous man, and he wasn't really even con calling himself indigenous. His struggle was being Mexican-American, Chicano. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, that was proper for the time. Um, we're always looking to ourselves and others and, you know, never really the government um, in what we call ourselves, but his was um, going in and out of your university, as he called it. And university for our family was basically prison. And so whenever he was home and he was not being hired for work, he had specific things that he needed to do around the house and obligations to um, my mother, you know, our mother, who, who, you know, put food on the table, kept the lights on and a roof over our heads. So basically, essentially, when he did find work, it was really in the un godly hours, you know, before the sun's up. And so by the time I came home, he would be there. Um, the lessons were, one of the things that sticks in my mind from the past to the present and the unknown future is when I was growing up in the time of Vietnam War, we would see a lot of footage of the grueling, just genocidal on both sides of this war, the inhumane slot, just the slaughter the inhumane policy and ideas of what was right and what was wrong. And today, no matter what war, how many wars we're involved in, you barely see, you know, a casket uh, return with the flag dra draped over it. Like it's unknown to see a lot of the truth. So for me, um, it was very, it's very telling the control that the media is um, afforded um, within their own truth to, to, to convey and share the stories of life mm -hmm. and uh, where we are currently as, hum as humans as in human and the lack of humanity. And the disconnect is great because um, these wars are something like what we feel in other, what we feel today with the, with the virus is very much what other people feel in other lands and other countries minus the bombs, yep. minus the, the shortage of water. Um, we're, we're, I pray we don't know the shortage of water. I pray that we don't uh, run out of food. And I pray 
that we don't know these things as the National Guard and and, um, and uh, martial law. But these things happen in all other countries and mm-hmm. other people are better equipped to deal with it. But when growing up with my brother, uh, he just tried to bestow truth and really a lot of open-ended questions to make me think. And, um, and that's the lack of uh, education in our current public schools is fostering the imagination, fostering um, thinking and problem solving creatively. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And just, yeah, I mean, it's always, it's inspiring to have people, especially relatives and family members that are able to kind of guide you on those, on that, on that path and kind of, yeah, probe your inquisitive mind, especially at a young age to kind of think of, um, of some of those big, I mean, tall lies and general, um, influences that you get kind of uh, programmed to think about withholding uh, the truth yeah exactly well my brother is now now long since gone he's he took his journey uh several years ago and to me he had a phd in uh in life skills because um i i wish that he had written his stories down and i wish that he had told me all of it yeah but um you know it's it's not the way it is and until we meet again one day. <clears throat> the question of his identity and how he related to his identity back then, you know, as an indigenous person, but as identifying as Chicano, and you talked about the moratoriums and or the moratorium and the walkout. Um, what do you feel in relation to kind of going through the process of feeling like a Chicana and then identifying more as indigenous? When, when did that start to take place? Um, in your life and and kind of how did you shift yeah how do you how do you do that well that's because you have to start at the beginning when your birth certificate says you're white yeah and um and you explain that a bit more just for people that don't know about that yeah well in the the 1960s and and previous either you were white or black there was no such thing as mexican-american or or you know hondurenian you know american or anything american there was not hyphenated and um, so for me, I've been mislabeled my entire life. And it's interesting because we have to answer the census now. So I've been federally committing a crime or has the government been federally committing a crime because they have me um, pegged for somebody else. And that's not me. I'm not white and I'm not black. I would actually prefer that they wrote that I was black. But we went through these phases uh, epically in time where um, it was proper to say, Mexican-American or, you know, these hyphens that we had. And at some point it became Hispanic, which I was not comfortable with because it honors the Spaniard colonialism um, idea, the, the settler of exploitive uh, men running around and, and landing on and spaces and claiming it for these queens and kings that were far, far away. Yep. So for me, um, it went, Hispanic was short-lived and then all of a sudden they said Latino. And all my life, I've been saying that we're we're Indian, we're indigenous, we're in, we're Indian, we're Indian. As young as nine, and I would have these battles with my brother and debate and argument. And then I, my mom would say, you know, full of fear to never say that we were indigenous because, or Indian for that matter. Excuse me. It was to say we're uh, people. Other people see Indians as uh, totally negative, derogatory uh, terms describing. Um, somebody that we're not, 
that we're not educated, that we're not clean, that we're not uh, well kept, and that we're lazy. So, you know, I, I argued with my mom the entire time, and it was always about the time that we filled out school applications because mm-hmm. we always have to fill out the same information every single year. So, um, in her last breath, in her last 15, 20 minutes of life, she, she said I was right. And that was about um, 11, 12 years ago. She said, you're right, Niha. She says, we're, we're, we're Indian. And that wow. right there just totally gave me the, the skill set to remember that I'm my mother's daughter. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who's pointing their finger and saying, you are this, you are that. The first thing I always will be is my mother's daughter. Oh. She didn't give me permission to be me who I am. I just didn't want to be disrespectful to her. And I knew she was saying all these things out of fear because she grew up in a time where she couldn't take pride in being Mayo from Sinaloa. And so given a large, large amount of forgiveness and love and humble, humble pride in the sense of family, Mm -hmm. I, um, I carry that with me and I try to use that to encourage and inspire other people to to be who they are, who they stand before other people and just accept where everybody's at in their, on their journey, on their path of this crazy life. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's really powerful that you, you know, you were able to be there and, and spend those last moments with your mother and, and for her to tell you that that's really special. Yeah. Tears of joy and tears of healing and tears of the last 20 minutes of someone's breath to offer that that was the biggest gift to give so that's just giving so much life right at the end yep Um, you mentioned the census and uh and i just i just filled that in with my flatmates last week and you know it struck me as as being a really interesting i mean interesting and obviously i mean just so problematic as they normally are when you get to fill in these kind of weird ethnic racial <laughs> boxes that they tried to put you in but they yeah. they, they did this moment where they asked you a question to do with would you identify as hispanic i think or latino and and then that was a, a box that they gave you and then you either said yes or no or, or, how, or however you affiliated within that and then the next have, have you finished have you done it yet no, because um, I'm in the process of um, doing a short documentary, very short documentary, on changing my birth certificate and answering the uh, census. Okay, well, yeah, let's let let's let's dive into that then, uh, because okay. I was, you know what I was going to say is, yeah, it was just very strange that you had to answer this separate racial box, and then you got into it, and they asked you, you can either be white or black, or in the middle, you can be, you know, you can be Native American. But it's an interesting thing that they're asking actually if you are going to answer that and you are from south of the border, then you kind of have to then identify who your people are or you have to say that you're European, which is an interesting problem <laughs> that it poses because that you've already answered the question in the previous box. But anyhow, let's, um, let's dive into the question of, of yeah, you're, you've been working on a short documentary about changing your, your status. Yep. It's, um, it's interesting because um, changing the status on your birth certificate is something new to me, and I've always had questions about it, and I've, I've heard that other people have done it, and it's still asking permission from the government um, to be who you are, 
in a way, that validation with a piece of paper. And, you know, one thing I've learned is that there's different circles of indigenous peoples who either right away accept you for who you are, as you know, you can, you can recite who your aunties are. I can say who my family is, my grandmas are, and uh, four back, but I can't go past that once we get to the Scottish part of my family. Well, changing the paperwork on the certificate, birth certificate, um, hasn't been proven lofty, difficult, or easy because I'm about to do the second part of this documentary, very short documentary, to inspire and encourage other people to do the same. And the week that I decided to film and speak about why I want to change all my birth certificate, I received my uh, mail-in or my uh, census information, and, and I thought it was funny. It was basically, you know, the universe laughing with me, perhaps. I'm looking forward to seeing the outcome, whether I'm denied or whether uh, they will change it. And as far as the census giving spaces to who we are in response, I'm not surprised because that's where the statistics in this nation are lacking when it comes to education, health, and other resources that are qualified in dollar amounts by the census information that's gathered, the data that's gathered. Usually, um, Native American, Pacific Islander, or uh, sometimes whittles down to other as a choice. And they give you an option to write in, fill in who you are. And I really don't know what that status is, what they do with that data when many people write other and under the other box, check off that box, and then fill in, write in Indigenous. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. Um, to see how that data works out this year, especially during this time of crisis, environmental and uh, COVID-19, um, yeah. where the resources actually go to and how it's accounted for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting just to think about the kind of, I mean, yeah, interesting and terrible to think about the, yeah, the, the kind of genocide of statistics that makes it seem like, for example, Los Angeles is a city with, with few indigenous people as opposed to being probably the city in the States, which has the most indigenous people, um, you know, and that's what, that's the power of statistics too, is to kind of, yeah, invisibilize people. Outside of the reservation, we have the most Diné people and Lakota and the tribes from Mexico and from South and Central America. That's why the last count uh, apparently, and I don't know where these statistics came um, as far as, I'm pretty sure it didn't come from the census. Um, I'll have to figure that one out. Uh, 180,000, and somebody else said 220,000. So they That's don't speak. Huge. Yeah, and, they, and, and I don't know, uh, the percentage of language lost, that's, that's the real... That's the real loss is um, not just access to health services and counted, accounted for domestic uh, violence uh, support and access and avenues for healing yeah. and or um, access for educational, extra educational TANF, other um, supportive services usually count Native Americans, but not indigenous south of the border, that illusionary power of that, that border. We're still indigenous people from those areas. Yeah. It's just, um, it's, it's a shame. It's, it's definitely erase, erasing who we are and not putting the funding to, su- to support our lives at whatever stage we're in. And, yeah. you know, I'm close to retiring, so 
Let's see what social security looks like when I've paid into that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think of, yeah, I mean, as well, you know, undocumented people or just immigrants, you know, as they're portrayed by the media are always seen as a kind of an outsider force. Whereas we've always been here should, should be aware at this point that, yeah, these, I mean, for the majority of many of them are indigenous people that still have uh, tribal relations in the states where they come from in Mexico and South of yep. the border and others are detribalized indigenous people for the majority. And what about the stigma and the negative reporting by the media? I've seen so many, I've seen, I think last count three different reports from the mass media currently with how to wash your hands. And it's been nothing but brown children younger than seven years old and old enough to stand up to the sink, like in a school setting. And to me, that it's the negative visual. There's a lot of people who don't know how to wash their hands, apparently, and the anger that that fuels and the fear that that fuels towards people who look like me, that mind trick that the mass media plays on you because it's, well, then it's predominantly brown folk that don't know how to wash their hands. And this is, you know, the same thing with um, what's happening with the Chinese flu and that horrible labeling and hateful words that are caused for a lot of crimes, essentially against our relatives here in Los Angeles. And yeah. for me, it's a matter of just accepting people, as I said before, where, where they are in their path and their journey on their life and always praying for better and best for them because I transitioned from the Chicano part. I still love that part of my history of my life. Then it doesn't matter what square I have to check off or what other space they offer me. Those papers still don't define me. It's yeah. the way I arrive. It's the way I live. It's the way I show up for community. Absolutely. And you do. I'm going to tell you the short story, though. Just It doesn't matter if you record this or not. But yeah, yeah, I, I was just going to tell you the short story of Standing Rock, seeing all this bullshit on social media, far cry from black and white TV or, or TV in color, yeah. um, seeing the attacks on the people with the dogs and the, the, the police. What happened two months previous to that, it was like it started in April and it was kind of chill. There were children running from one part of the reserve reservation to Washington, Washington D.C. Yeah. But in June... I ended up working for a friend of mine and I helped clean up a, a trailer, a big ass trailer that she had. She was doing a show, a detective show on HBO. And I couldn't remember the name of it if you asked me. But at the end of the day, I had cleared five boxes and reduced it to three of Shields face masks. I had removed all the cracked ones and the broken ones. And flippantly, you know, she's just trying to get rid of shit. She just asked me, hey, do you want those? And I said, yeah. I mean, I paused to think, but I answered, yes, affirmative. I need those. I don't know why, but I know I do. I want those. And I brought them home. And they sat in my living room for two months. And come August, I found myself sending them in one of the many, many caravans that we put together from LA, the LA water protectors out to Standing Rock. And I was happy to know that relatives there could shield their faces from this hideousness of pepper spray and, and tear gas and, yep. and everything that they were doing to the people.
as Manape Laman, you know, a friend of yours and a friend of mine too, and who was there for a lot of it, he, he said that, you know, so much of California, but putting a lot of blood, sweat and tears for Standing Rock. A lot of people got arrested, a lot of people showed up and-, and Half the people, yeah. half the people that got arrested were from California. Yeah. We realize we're connected, we find the connection. It's up to us what we do with those connections. Yeah. How are we living with those connections? How are we fulfilling and, and living our prayers?